November 24th, uh, Thanksgiving week, and you're back with another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, as always, Trey Watson, joined by a very, very socially distanced Tom Stevens. Tom, how are you doing, my friend? I am truly delightful. Well, how are know, you doing, Trey? I'm, I'm doing well, not as good as, as you. Re- relaxed in the sun. Uh, and we are we are happy to be joined today by uh, a good friend of mine. We've mentioned him a couple of times in passing on the podcast is uh, the Kentucky Politics Weekly uh, professional wrestling expert. Uh, but he is also former Fayette County Republican Party chairman, former candidate for uh, state rep and possible Deadpool, Gary McCullum. Yeah, it's entirely. I, I think the last one probably has the the, the most cachet. So. <laughs> he is un- <laughs> he is unkillable, folks. He is unkillable. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, man, knock on some wood. <laughs> rough, rough uh, we are. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week. We're gonna have a little bit of fun today. Uh, we're gonna hit some news items, and then uh, we're gonna go through some uh, some things that uh, that we're thankful for this uh, this holiday season. You know, as as usual, we try to keep things bipartisan on this show. Uh, we have Gary on as 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 a Republican. I wanted to have a Democrat on, but there's just not much that Kentucky Democrats have to be thankful for. So we're we're gonna we're gonna go without today. Uh, Let's get in the news, though. Uh, I guess the, the first first thing that we'll start with, kind of biggest news going on right now is um, we could have a decision maybe even while we're, while we're recording. Uh, a whole cadre of private schools have filed a lawsuit against the governor and his orders to close schools. Uh, obviously, Tom, I think, on the last podcast talked a little bit about that his, his uh, school he's involved with, uh, obviously, it's spent a lot of money, about a half million dollars, isn't that right, Tom? Buying PPE and and uh, plastic, plexiglass to put in between seats and different ways to keep their children safe in school. I know Gary's uh, children have kind of been through similar situations. Uh, there's basically no spread at these private schools, uh, but they're shut down anyways. Uh, so we, you know, there's there's a lawsuit currently pending. We should have some answer on injunctive relief today. Is that right, Tom? You, you suspect? I definitely think it could be today, definitely before uh, we break for Thanksgiving. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, well, it, it'll be interesting to see what comes down on that. I mean, if you look at past decisions, you know, I, well, first of all, as Gary, I think you said to me the other day, when there's zero cases of transmission in, in the school, like, how do you how do you go down from zero? I don't understand the governor's goal here. Yeah, it, I mean, and it, it's really kind of disheartening. I mean, the fact that, you know, we've got a, a governor who makes quotes like, uh, you know, I got it, I pulled up his quote from the press release last week. He said, look, uh, uh, March 6th, since March 6th, we've been under attack and at war with the coronavirus. It's upended routines, damaged our economy, threatened our children's education and taken far too many lives. And what's frustrating about it is it feels like we're facing this sort of Queen's Gambit chess level challenge and our governor is playing checkers and doesn't understand why he's losing. Um, you know, we've got re- we've got addiction relapse on the rise. I think uh, Jason Nemus, one of your guests a couple of weeks ago, talked about increases in suicide. Uh, psychiatric pharmaceuticals are up for kids. And for whatever reason, our governor appears to view this as some kind of binary choice between upending routines and threatening education on the other side, loss of life. That doesn't mean we minimize the loss of life, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. yeah, You know, we keep talking about the show. It seems to me like a lot of his decisions are just, are, are, are lazy. They're the easy, the easy thing to do is to close. The hard thing to do is to figure out how to bifurcate complicated issues and, and, you know, for, for example, I, I think, you know, my, my kid goes to, to his little NTI camp. He'd been wearing a mask every day pretty much since March or, or April. You know, I mean, he, he's, he is used to wearing a mask and, and little kids, you're talking elementary school age and the kid, the, the, the age of kids who can't learn what they need to learn online, which is, you know, the basic skills of, of learning and, and social development. Those kids are, you tell them to wear a mask, they're, they're going to wear a mask. You tell them to stay six feet away, they're going to stay, stay six feet away. They don't know that, that, you know, that they haven't had six or eight years of school to know different. And they also tend to follow authority at that age versus high schoolers 
who, you know, high school or, or, or a college kid's going to do what, what, what they're going to do. You know, it's the, the hard thing to do is to figure out how to separate and say, okay, these kids, this age might be able to deal with it. This age might not. How do we separate and, and do it? But, you know, just saying, oh, we're, we're just going to close all schools. It's that's the late it's, it's lazy. It's just lazy. It, it is. And, it, you know, you've got several private schools here in Lexington that are now shut down. They had zero confirmed transmissions of the virus in four months of in-person daily classes. Those schools uh, work their tails off to identify processes and procedures to minimize risk and to catch cat cases on their way in. And they partnered with parents and students. You know, they kept a primary goal in focus of let's educate our students. And they made adjustments. And that seems a whole lot more like a, a wartime plan, if that's the terminology the governor wants to use, than the, the plan that we've got right now, which is let, let's go sit in a bunker. Yeah, you, you know, it, I, don't, I don't like the disconnect on, you know, as, as, a, as a parent, right? I mean, I gave a great deal of time and energy thinking about the decision to send my child to school. It was not something that we came to lightly and just did it on a whim because, oh, it's convenient for us because of work. We made a very thoughtful decision. We worked with the school. There were significant investments in, in uh, infrastructure, in training, um, protocols. I mean, literally to the level where like the board of directors for the school was part of the team that was there every morning starting at 745 doing temperature checks, um, hand wash stations and everything on the way into the building. And I, I really think that I and, and our group was in the best situation to judge that. There just there's so many real issues out there that there's there's there are, you know, questions about why would you dig in on this one where there doesn't seem to be any any problem? Like why, why take on one additional problem in in this in this fight right now when there's too many other real things, you know, unemployment, for example. Well, I think there's, you know, there's two different issues at play here. You guys both have kids in, in private school. My, mine are in public. My, my son's in public school. So, you know, you got two things at play. One, why, you know, why take on basically a group of people have said, you may not be willing to do it. We are willing to do the hard work to figure out how to safely do this. You know, the state has at, at various levels worked with these schools to approve plans to help guide them with, with plans on how to do it and, and, you know, give them at least some level of guidance. Um, you know, so if they if they want to do, if these people want to do the work, there's no proof of transmission. Why come after them? And then the other side of it is you have the public schools where I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, yesterday's press conference, Andy Bashir slipped up twice. I, I believe he, he meant to say KDE, Kentucky Department of Education, but twice during the press conference, he said the decision to reopen schools will be made by the KEA. Twice. So, and, and I think he then made a joke like, well, I'm sure that'll get thrown back in my face or something like that. But uh, yes, it will. Because that's, I mean, that's, you know, we all know that's reality. That's what's happening. The, the KEA does not want to see private schools be successful. And, and, and they, and they don't want to see public school kids back in school period, despite the fact that nationwide there is, no proof of of transmission and in, in through, through school systems it's just it's not happening so you know it, it's it's incredibly frustrating um kind of piggybacking on this and leading into a kind of another a whole nother can of worms in this issue uh, I, I was sent a uh, dashboard that's published by the u.s department of education and uh, you can look at every state and there's three pools of money that this thing's tracking. It's tracking uh, one thing called the ESSER fund, the elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund. It's tracking the governor's emergency education relief fund year and the here uh, higher education emergency relief fund. Uh, Kentucky uh, in May was appropriated $160 million in higher education emergency relief funds. We have spent 131 a uh, million of those dollars, this website, if you go to covid-relief-data.ed.gov, um, you can look it up. Uh, it tells you exactly where all the money went. So we spent 81.7% of that $160 million, uh, on, on higher ed. Seems about right. Uh, you know, higher ed is, is a whole, it's, it's, it's whole mess. You know, if we don't uh, have tuition dollars coming in, there's bonded projects, there's, there's, there's big problems. We'll get to that in a second. Second bucket of money, the gear money, 
uh, $43 million, $43.8 million appropriated uh, May 5th. Uh, we have spent $8.82 uh, $8, million of that. So 18.9%. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, what? 18%? 18% of that money. Well, it gets better. Now, that, that and you know, that money has got, a, a few, I think, a few more, a little bit more freedom on, on how you could spend it, but it's, it's broken, you know, it's kind of funky how that one's bifurcated and, and divided on, on who, who can have it. So that's kind of a, a different situation. But however, very close to the, to the here funds is the ESSER fund, the elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund. So we spent 81.7% of that money. Now this, this data is from May. Now the higher ed month, higher ed data is actually updated November 10th. The, uh, the ESSER money, is updated through September 30th. So there's a chance that they've spent a little bit more of this money, but I don't see the number getting up to 81%. Um, from May 5th to September 30th, we have spent 10% of $193 million given to the state by the federal government for elementary and secondary school emergency relief. If people want to know why their schools aren't open, this is why. That money is sitting at the governor's office. It is sitting in Andy Bashir's hands and he is doing nothing with it. That is $173 million that could be spent on, oh, I don't know, up, upgraded HVAC systems to properly filter the air, could be spent on PPE, could be spent on, you know, plexiglass to divide, to divide, uh, uh, to divide uh, tables and, and, and keep kids apart, could be spent on uh, Chromebooks, which we're still having an issue with. In, 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 could, could, could be spent on, on, on Wi-Fi hotspots for students who are, who are still, still having to do NTI. Could be spent on a whole, could be spent on uh, a financial incentive for teachers to get their, to get, overcome their fear of COVID and get in the room and get in the classroom and teach, you know, a very real fear. I don't mean to, to, to downplay it, but you know, <laughs> you you guys can't see the video. Gary's at his office as an essential employee. You know, uh, teachers are essential employees as well, but we're not allowing them to do their job. $170 million that has not been spent by the governor. And I think he owes us answers as to where the hell that money is and why isn't he spending it? Well, and it would appear that this could also be used for things like training or even outsourcing. You, you could have at a local level, you could have contracting uh, for policymaking and, and, and trying to develop new ways to do this. I mean, one of the things that I've, I've seen, uh, you know, from, from friends, either through social media or I've talked to them about their frustrations with Fayette County Public Schools is it seems like uh, not only is, is the school board throwing up their hands and saying, well, we're, we're going to continue to wait and see or we're going to continue to develop a plan, seems to me that if you've got what... Uh, roughly $170 million at your disposal, you might be able to find some professionals who specialize in dealing with uh, these kind of issues, uh, emergency response and, and developing a plan that could work. Oh, but they do have a plan on the website. I see a, I see a consulting opportunity in my future. Hey, they do have a plan on the website for where it's supposed to be spent. Um, and I, I'm flipping through it right now, $420,000 for the Office of Career and Technical Education um, let's see, where is there $2.3 million at uh, Office of Career Technical Education for equipment? I'm looking for the for the big money projects here. Uh, bah, 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 bah. so but it, what about it, it, as, it's as got far as some opportunities, too? I mean, uh, like kind of shovel ready sort of, stuff. yeah. I, I mean, if you've got to make these sort of modifications to classrooms, for example, I mean, that's a trickle down effect to you know, contractors and different other groups that are in the individual counties that would ostensibly benefit substantially, right? I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's 193. I mean, anytime that the, that the government spends money, that is, that's that's a cash injection in the arm of the, of the local economy. And he's sitting on <laughs> $170 million that hadn't been spent. I was I was busy looking at some. Uh, by, 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 here, by, by the way, so if you if you're trying to catch it, makes sense. If you look through this budget, this budget that, that's attached, there's, a, there's a, a document that's the budget narrative. All of the money that's not appropriated is listed on the budget under other local education uh, agencies. It's it's that's literally the exact total that's, that hadn't been spent yet. One hundred seventy three million eight hundred sixty six thousand one hundred eighty seven dollars. So I mean, it's it's budgeted in here. They're just they're just not spending it, and I, I think people 
deserve an answer as to why. Didn't you say the higher ed funds had been spent at a much higher rate? 81%. Now, let me get to my theory on that one. I believe... Why would, I was going to say, why would you have such a high rate on one versus the other? I, I, I believe it's because there are tuition payments tied to higher education. I, I believe that what we've seen here occur is Andy Bashir is basically running a uh, the governmental equivalent of a mafia protection racket. If you are paying money into the state or into some state affiliated coffer, then you get to stay open. The universities have a lot of bonded projects that there's payments due on. You know, that the tuition dollars come in the door basically already spent. Like that money has already been spent. They're getting it in the door to pay the credit card bill. Uh, th they can't stop they can't not play basketball at Rupp because UK generates a tremendous amount of revenue from television contracts and all the things that affiliated with, with UK basketball, same thing with sec football. It's worth a tremendous amount of money. You all of a sudden pull that money out of, out of the equation and pull the uh, tuition payments of students who would not return or, or not, not enroll or, or pay tuition that, that semester because they they're not learning in person. You pull that money off the table. All of a sudden you're staring down a barrel of potential bankruptcy and failure to, to, to make bond payments on massive hundreds of millions of dollar projects. And guess who picks up the, the bill for that? Us, the taxpayers of the state of Kentucky. So he's got to keep do whatever he can spend, spend whatever he can to keep those universities up and running. Same thing with why retail stores are still allowed to keep churning. We need that sales tax revenue. Why do you think the, the uh, racetracks and the historic gaming casinos are still open? Because they're generating uh, tax pay revenue. You know, I think it's interesting on restaurants. They're allowing restaurants to stay open, but they're not allowing in-person in, in dining. Well, who, who you know, I've, I've been a waiter. Uh, you, you're getting a portion. State's getting a, a very small portion of, of, of the tips, <laughs> of the taxes due on tips. You know, that's... It's a cash business. State, state ain't getting that money. So we've closed that, but we still can get the sales tax revenue for the actual food sales and the, the, uh, the, the, the taxes off the paychecks of salaried employees who are working back in the kitchen. What are we closed? Public schools and churches. Gary and I can be thankful later that you weren't our waiter. Yes. I'm already thankful. <laughs> hey, I was a great waiter. I made, I made great tips. Uh, I, you know, everything that generates money into the state is being allowed to stay open. And everything that's not is being closed. And listen, I, Bashir's in a rock, a rock and a hard place here. I think people would respect him a lot more if he just flat out said, hey, y'all, we're broke. Like, we, we can't afford not to have this stuff open. You know, we're going to close what we can close for the safety of the people. But the rest of this stuff, y'all, if you want roads, if you want cops to get pay, paychecks, if you do want some, you know, some sort of resolution to unemployment problem, unemployment insurance problems. We got to keep tax revenue flowing into the state. Sorry, y'all. You know, it, it's, it's just what we're doing. I think people would respect him and understand his decision-making a lot more if he, if he just was honest. Cause I think that's what's occurring. I think he, he, he won't shut anything down that is bringing revenue into the general fund. Well, and I'm curious as to whether or not you guys think this is more of a systemic issue within our economy as a whole it's not all, it doesn't all appear to me to be related to the pandemic. You know, we've sold the American dream, particularly if we turn back to education, we sold an American dream that requires on a credit a card. Yeah. A four year college <laughs> degree paid for on an installment plan. And the schools benefited from that and the bonds. And if that mo model shuts down, then the colleges are going to fail. And there's no telling what that does to the job market for people who have recent degrees from those universities, if that happens. No, it's okay. But, Joe, Joe Biden's going to, going to wipe all that free. So, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we want to, I'm sure we'll talk transition here in a minute, but I guess we're going to, uh, we're considering forgiving $50,000 for every borrower by executive order. Sweet. I only owe like 30,000 more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how does, how does that, I can't wait to talk about that. Cause it, it's like, there's no way for that. Let's say he could, by executive order, just do that. I mean, that doesn't work for any of the private loan holders, right? No. I mean, he can't waive the contractual relationship you've entered into with another party. And I, then you're going to have this tax bill that's going to be ridiculous because all of a sudden you've got like, you know, $30,000, $50,000 in, in income that you didn't anticipate. Yeah, it's it's just, I, you know, again, I don't envy the situation the governor's in. I think two things could have made this 
a lot easier though. I think one, he could be honest with people as to why he's making decisions. You know, what, what, what's motivating it. Cause I don't think it's health. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's as much health as he can, but I, you know, you can't shut this stuff down because the state will, the state will go bankrupt. And I think it would be a lot easier if he had involved other people in the decision-making process, because not only then is there somebody to share the blame if it, if it doesn't go right, but there's, you know, there's more buy-in, you know, right now, Republicans have no reason to buy in on anything that he's doing because he won't involve Republicans. He, he's under no legal obligation to, because the governor gets to make executive orders and well, until the first week of January, that'll, you know, when that changes, but uh, right now he's under no legal obligation to involve anybody else in the decision, but you know, can you, and should you are two different questions here. It's, it's frustrating as hell, but I want an answer from the governor as to where the hell this money is and why is it not being spent? And well, why- yeah, and, and not only that, but the, you know the, the the spending. You look at all the different universities here in Kentucky uh, at the university level; they have no problem getting the eighteen million to UK. The twelve, you know, ten out of the twelve for U of L has been allotted. You got Transy; they got about eight hundred and fifty thousand. Midway got a million dollars. Georgetown got nine hundred thousand dollars. And then you see that paltry spending at the, you know, high school and elementary school level, uh, when you got 173 million dollars in the bank, it it, it really uh, defies explanation at, at least right now. But uh, I'll I'll keep an open mind and I'll keep my ears open to to hear if Governor Bashir is willing to explain that. And look, there, there's a budget as to where it's supposed to go. Like you, once again, you go to this website, COVID-relief-data.ed.gov, uh, and click on Kentucky. There, there's uh, under the the Esther thing, there's a thing that says "See the state slash outlying areas application agreements and initial report." There, there's there's it's not like the money sit there, you know, waiting for for where they're going to figure out to where where they're going to spend it. They had to say how much money they needed and where it was going to go when they applied for this money. So there's a plan to spend it. Why why isn't it being spent? Is the question that needs to be answered. Uh, Let's move along here. Uh, yeah, it's, you, it's funny too. It's like the snark. We all want it to work. I yeah, mean, genuinely. Like I just, it's not. You know, normally we're funnier, but like some of this stuff is just. It is absolutely uh, mind-boggling. Right. And, and again, I think I think a lot of it boils down to he won't work with anybody. If if he if he would just open the door and share some of the burden. All this would be easier, and he'd have more buy-in from 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 other people. But he won't. So here we are. Uh, UK Healthcare announced well, today. Why do those numbers you threw out? I'm going to be disappointed if they don't they don't get it right in the media coverage on this. I mean, that's one we yeah. need to have a discussion on. We need to have a fair discussion, and the only way to have that happen is if the the big, you know, outlets will ask the questions that they need to be asking. I'm I'm working on that. Well, unless. <laughs> And let's just be clear too. this education stabilization fund. uh, I I don't think you mentioned this earlier, Trey, but it comes from the CARES Act. Yeah. And that was something that, uh, you you know, uh, Senator McConnell made sure that we got passed earlier in the year. And those funds are there. They've been there since this. May 5th. May 5th. They were awarded. We've been sitting on them. Um. All right, UK Healthcare announced today they're closing five of the 32 operating rooms at Chandler Hospital to uh, decrease hospital admissions and increase capacity for COVID patients. Uh, you know, just a reminder, this this is, you know, the, the worst off COVID patients, you you can't really expand the number of rooms that, that, you, that you need to treat them because they need, they need uh, the, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? The zero... Uh, Zero, like zero pressure or whatever rooms. Uh, yeah, they need special rooms to, to treat them. However, it is more space that you can. Yeah, you can, it's like the. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it is more space that you could that you can basically wall off and and quarantine and have have COVID wings where you're not you're not you know mingling COVID patients with non-COVID patients and, and risking some sort of cross contamination. Uh, yeah. So, so it's it. Let's be let's be clear about what sort of COVID rooms we're talking about here, uh, but yeah, I think it does show that the that the you know the cases and hospitalization cases especially are increasing. Uh, you know, Tom, last week we had Jim Musser from the Hospital Association on, and he said that he feels like they're doing a very good job of keeping the overload down on especially the rural hospitals by being able to move some of these uh, move some of these patients around 
the state and and get them to places where they can they can relieve the pressure when it builds up on on hospitals. I'm guessing that's what's occurring here. Is UK is going to be the obvious choice, uh, central hub where if you've got you know uh, a, a increasing pressure spot in say Montgomery County, you know you're you're going to need to move those people somewhere to get you open up some more space locally. And UK hospitals the the obvious choice there. But you know, I think just continued signs that. Uh, you know, the hospitalizations are increasing, but I think we all expected this as the weather started to turn cold. Yeah. And as somebody who is, want to get uh, together. as somebody who's endured a, a surgery every year for the past five years, uh, I, that, that's not good news for me um, in terms of a surgical rooms shutting down. But I will say this as somebody who just got out of UK healthcare a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, incredibly impressed with uh, what with what they're doing uh, w- within the hospital. Uh, they have uh, created sort of makeshift areas uh, where they can put more distance between patients. They can make sure that they keep you uh, a- a- as safe as possible and minimize risk. Um, they're on top of it. Uh, now, I did have a guy. A guy there, there was a guy nearby who, uh, as they came to test him for COVID each time. Uh, he started talking about how it was uh, in the in the oral swab they were going to give him. They were going to plant a tracker, uh, and they would be uh, following him <laughs> on, on government satellites for the next couple of weeks. But uh, beyond that, our, our healthcare workers are doing one hell of a job. Yes, uh, I like that UK is, is making the decisions that UK should be making instead of the heavy hand of government coming down and telling UK what it should or shouldn't do. There's really, really smart folks at UK healthcare and I trust them to, to do what they need to do. How, Tom, how frequently do you think Jerry Lundergan is calling UK to ask if they need him to reopen his hospital every day, twice a day, four times a day, like every 30 minutes. I, I mean, here's my question. How, just how Man, many tents, I would love some of that sweet stuff right there. How many tents- a good deal. How many tents does Lundy's own and how many of them do you think are, are currently out at these, at these, uh, these restaurants all around town? I mean, every restaurant you drive by has like a tent village out in the parking lot now. You know, I, I had I, a number of people that were sending me tent sightings. Oh, they're everywhere, man. I, like, I would Particularly expect the uh, bluegrass hospitality group. Yeah. I would expect Lund- Lundy's and, uh, and, and Bryant's rental are probably like, this is, this is Merry Christmas to them right now. <laughs> um, you know, a couple couple stories I wanted to highlight. Uh, kind of, we we talked about briefly about the restaurants closing and, and especially bartenders and waitstaff uh, not being able to make money. A couple couple kind of feel good stories. Uh, Maker's Mark is releasing a a special blend. It's one of the first times ever they've actually made a like an actual special recipe of making special bottles that are being sold uh, called the Community Batch, uh, and the money's money's all going to. Uh, to kind of help, uh, uh, it's going to little chef Ed Lee's let, let, uh, the let's power, let's empower employment initiative, which is kind of helping, uh, restaurant industry folks who are, this place going to people who are, who are put out of work because of all the closures. That's great. And UPS has announced that now that they are giving priority, uh, hiring to servers and bartenders, uh, for the, their seasonal jobs, uh, for Christmas, they're giving priority hiring to, to, uh, servers and bartenders who are out of work because of the, the closures, uh, you know, little things, but it's, it's nice to see when businesses can step up and do a little something to help. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the jobs, Amazon is announced they're building a second fulfillment center in Lexington. So that's another 500 jobs. I mean, good Lord. How many jobs does Amazon have in the state of Kentucky now? It's insane. Well, I, I, I don't know if you also saw Trey, but Amazon is also providing all, uh, well, some new hires around the country with $3,000 signing bonuses. I mean, they, you know, this is their time of the year to, to fire up and really, and, and really churn out some, uh, some product. And so it kind of, it doesn't shock me, especially considering, you know, you are going to be working in a warehouse that's closed and I mean, I'm assuming they're going to give you a whole lot of, a whole lot of PPE, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's the, it's the place I want to be spending all my time inside of an Amazon warehouse right now. Well, but I guess there is some controversy, though, because uh, some of their existing workers were uh, they, they didn't receive the, the bonuses because they didn't sign on. Uh, instead, they got uh, $15 turkey vouchers for Thanksgiving. Yes, uh, tr- turkey that uh, it's also Love me what, some turkey. It's also what a a local hospital that will go unnamed gives to all of their employees up and down the entire chain for uh, they have to get 
Do they have to catch it from the helicopter? That that would be that'd be more entertaining. But no, that's that that is the the Christmas bonus for all employees at an unnamed local hospital is a turkey. So, <laughs> um, do you do y'all remember uh, the show Good Times? J.J. Yes. Walker, Dynamite. The show. Yeah, yeah. There's a great line in that. It's tough to be a jive turkey this close to Thanksgiving. Indeed, that's that's the type of information that just popped up right here. Oh, <laughs> uh, just kind of one more interesting story. Uh, anybody who's ever eaten at uh, Joe Lee's Hot Chicken over in uh, Chevy Chase. Here, here in Lexington, uh, I want to rethink that decision in the future. Apparently, they they were closed on November thirteenth for a significant rat problem. <laughs> There's videos of of rats like just roaming through the restaurant. Apparently, uh, I believe they've got a video of one of them uh, taking drinks from the, uh, the yeah a the live a live rat in the soft drink dispensing station. Uh, if you go to uh, Herald Leader, they have a uh, they have, they have a, a picture of it. It's uh, it's not what you want. That's really special. They ha- they have reopened with a one hundred percent score. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of the NFL. Like you know, Monday half the NFL goes on the COVID restricted list, and like six teams shut down all their facilities. And then Sunday they're like, "Well, we tested everybody. Everybody's all clear. We're playing the game." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> COVID is magical yeah. like that. It doesn't it doesn't infect you uh, after after ten p.m. at a bar, and uh. Uh, you know, on Sunday, once you put on the the helmet and the pads, COVID COVID goes away. It's it's magical. Uh, uh, can I can I uh, quickly mention for I, I know again Jason Nemus and uh, Julie Rocky Adams, they're sort of the Catholic connection uh, to me on on, on your podcast. Uh, I know they'll appreciate the fact. I guess Notre Dame conducted 191 COVID 19 tests for its football program after that win against Clemson. And they got zero positives, um, which I, I know that there were some out there that were. That's that's good news if you're an Irish football fan. But I know that there were some folks who said, because of that celebration that happened on the field after that game, uh, COVID nineteen would just be rampant. There was a lot of concern over that. Uh, yeah. Of course, you, did, you also didn't have like Justin Turner who found out, you know, in the middle of the game he was COVID positive, and then took his mask off, was out running around spraying champagne on people. So. Uh, and of course, Clemson had to got got another game canceled this weekend. I love, I love how they're accusing Florida State of running from them. Florida State's like, no, you flew on a plane to Tallahassee with a COVID positive person, like without a mask, just roaming around the cabin. That's that's why we canceled. <laughs> uh, college basketball, man. I don't know if you guys have been following that. That's ooh, the season's supposed to start. I think tonight, tonight or tomorrow, and. Man, I don't know what's going to happen. You see, Kentucky already had to cancel their game with the uh, with the Fighting Brad Calipari's from Detroit Mercy. Uh, had to cancel that. Uh, what Tennessee has shut down all basketball activities. Uh, New, <laughs> the New Mexico Lobos are having to move their entire operation outside of New Mexico to Arizona because they're not allowed to practice based on COVID shutdowns in uh, New Mexico. They're, like, they're the Lobos, right? Yeah. Not 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 Los not Los Lobos, but the Lobos. Doesn't that? I, I thought <laughs> I thought that wolves were very territorial animals. Well, I mean, they are the coyotes. They're going to be bringing illegal immigrants across the border. But you know, that's a. I think that's another another situation. Uh, I believe either tonight or tomorrow night does begin the battle for Atlantis, which seemed like a really good idea at the time when they moved it from Atlantis to the then uh, COVID-free state of South Dakota, currently not as good a decision. <laughs> Considering they have like a 70% positivity rate up there. <laughs> and I love the governor who, I, I, I love Christy Nome. I, I taught her how to gamble on horses at Churchill at a fundraiser several years ago. Very tall woman. Like she's probably 5'10", 5'11", because she was about my height with her boots on. Uh, but I love how she still is refusing to uh, issue a mask mandate in South Dakota, despite the fact that like basically everyone they're they're shipping patients to like Oregon now, in Minnesota because they're out of beds. So it's a mess up there. Anyway, uh, and oh, and also I think this weekend begins the uh, uh, Maui Invitational, which is being played in the tropical locale of Asheville, North Carolina. So interesting. It'll be interesting to watch the college basketball season. I am very dubious on. Uh, on this thing getting to a completion. I, I do love how Rick Pitino 
I think Rick Pitino is the, somehow has become the voice of reason. He's like, why are we even doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> he did say, wait until there's a vaccine, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And I think he's one of the ones who specifically said, like, it will still be March Madness if we do it in May. It's all right. <laughs> um, okay, that's kind of what all I've got for an abbreviated news segment. Gary, unless you had any comments uh, specifically on the Survivor Series from uh, from this weekend. I know you were excited about the gobbledygooker having uh, – Won the 24-7 title. 24-7 belt, but then uh, promptly lost it right back to our truth um, For those who, who don't know, uh, it, I, I made a little money in college as the uh, Kentucky Colonel's re- weekly wrestling columnist um, here at the University of Kentucky. And uh, yeah, uh, took in the Survivor Series. It's great to see The Undertaker uh, get a, uh, a, a send-off after 30 years uh, to the day of joining the WWE. Although I, I don't know if you, Trey, I'm interested in your take on what you think of Vince McMahon, who honestly uh, kind of looked like a dead man himself uh, out there on Sunday night, uh, uttering the phrase WWF for the first time in 18 years. I, I'm, I'm wondering how long it's going to take for a panda to show up with a, with, with, with a, with a subpoena or something. Yeah. Or a steel chair. Yeah, or, or a steel chair. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was interesting to see the uh, the uh, uh, holographic uh, Paul Bear, uh, per, per, Percival Pringle, brought back from the from the grave to uh, to have the urn. Yeah, and it, it, you know it was uh, really emblematic of uh, Mark Calloway, who's played the Undertaker for thirty years. He actually didn't uh, break character even in that final moment. Came out and uh, did a did a shoot uh, interview where he was just saying, "Hey, this is who, this is who I am. This is the character I play, and uh, I'm going to give you a rest in peace one more time." I wonder how hard his throat hurts after having to give like a full, a full uh, segment in the in the Undertaker voice. Like I could, <laughs> I could only imagine. Eventually, he's going to need a lozenge. Well, that and, and the number of times that man has had to roll his eyes back into his head and hold it for a good 30 seconds. Uh, you, you know, I, I keep thinking of like, you know, your mom, when you try to go cross-eyed, she'll say it's going to stay like that. <laughs> I, I worry about him from time to time, but I, I guess he's, he's hung it up and now he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. I think Tom has left the conversation at this point. He is, he's, uh, he's gone to fix himself a, 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 a umbrella drink. <laughs> I've, I've been just watching the dolphins out across the uh, across the the Gulf. Not sure what you guys are actually talking about. It sounded. Like <laughs> All right. Well, let's. It's it's Thanksgiving, and as uh, as shows where people people yammer about nothingness for for uh, for an hour or so, or, t- or want to do around Thanksgiving time. Uh, yeah, the kind of the, the, the trope of doing uh, things things that you're thankful for. So you know this this is uh, at least nominally a political show. So uh, you know let's uh, I thought that'd be fun the Gary and Tom day if we kind of went through some things that we're thankful for for uh, for this year in, in Kentucky politics, national politics, life in general. You know kind of whatever you feel like. I, I'll start with one. Uh, you know I, I personally am. Uh, this is going to sound strange. I'm I'm thankful for Greg Stumbo. I'm thankful for Greg Stumbo yeah. and the wonderful job that he did drawing. Uh, uh, state house maps back in 2012. You know, for those of you who don't know, the maps that we currently use were drawn by Greg Stumbo specifically to do two things. One was to protect existing Democrat incumbents, and the other was to actually to get Ryan Quarles out of the General Assembly. I think Greg back then even knew that Ryan was going to be trouble down the road, and that's why they carved Scott County uh, with questionable legality because I, I, Scott County's not technically was not big enough to be carved up like the way they, they did it. Uh, there could have been a lawsuit to, to kill that, but uh, you know, the cars got counted into four, four districts. Uh, so the maps that Greg Stumbo drew have now resulted at the end of their lifespan in <laughs> 75 Republicans in the general assembly. So I just want to say for the wonderful job he did drawing maps, uh, I, I'm thankful for, for Greg Stumbo this, uh, this Thanksgiving Tom, uh, what's something, what's something in Kentucky politics sir, or, or life in general that you're thankful for this year? Uh, well, let's see. I'm very thankful that we only play Alabama once. <laughs> that was that was a bloodletting. I am thankful uh, that that is behind us. You know, a, a incredible stat on that game too. You know, be, even being in the SEC, we've been playing them since the 20s, and there's only been like 
45 or so games, UK versus Alabama. And, we, and we've only won two of them, which is sad. <laughs> uh, Gary, what's something that you're thankful for this, this Thanksgiving? Well, you know, you mentioned basketball and I, I as you mentioned, also, I have two kids and I'm, I'm kind of glad that they, and I'm thankful that they inherited my sense of humor. Um, Kentucky plays Moorhead state, hopefully on Wednesday of this uh, blessed Thanksgiving week. And for the past se several years, my Thanksgiving tradition with those kids has been to go to the game. And my daughter asked me last night if she could make a sign. We've never made a sign for any game before. And I asked her what she would say. And she said, the, the sign is going to be real simple. It's just going to say Thanksgiving at my house. Don't tell Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, I've seen some great memes on, uh, on, uh, Andy for Thanksgiving out, uh, out, out on the, on the Twitters and the Facebooks. Uh, if, if nothing else, Andy has a very meme memeable face and Absolutely. it's, uh, it has been copy and pasted onto many, many, many different things. <laughs> Um, you know, some, something I'm thankful for are is a uh, is the continued stupidity of national democratic political donors. Um, you know, I, I just want to say to all those Democrats in California and Connecticut, New York, uh, Oregon, Washington, all these far Massachusetts, all these far flung states, thank you for the money that you. Uh, sent to local media outlets in the state of Kentucky, uh, funneled through the Amy McGrath campaign. Uh, thank you for injecting, uh, you know, seventy-three million dollars into our state's economy through the through the uh, uh, purchasing of, of ads. Uh, I'm sure the most thankful people in this state right now are probably uh, station managers whose uh, bonuses are dependent upon ad sales, uh, and also the ad sales people themselves. I'm sure they're they're very thankful for national uh, Democrat political donors. Uh, so thank you to all you national Democrats who pissed your money away here in Kentucky. We hope that you continue to do so <laughs> in losing efforts, not only to stimulate our state's economy, but to keep that money away from places where it could actually help a Democrat win an election. Uh, so thank you to national Democrat donors. Tom, you get a, another one that you're thankful for. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for cocaine, Mitch. I am thankful at the prospect of uh, divided government. Uh, you know, I think uh, I look forward to another six years of Senator McConnell's leadership. I'm very, very thankful for that. You know, you go back and look at when this country has functioned best and most efficiently the last 30 or 40 years. And there is divided government in every single instance, whether it was Clinton with a Republican Congress back in the 90s. Uh, Bush had a, a, a Democrat Congress to deal with for especially Senate for most of his time when he was in office. Um, you know, it's it, our, our system is set up to function well with divided government. Now, that also assumes that the divided government realizes they're divided and attempts at some level to work with each other, you know, all for all the all the guff and, and blame people want to put on McConnell for uh, during the Obama years, you know, that's a, that's a two way street. Obama specifically tried to not work with McConnell. And every time he did, he would get frustrated and have to send Biden in to go cut a deal of some sort, you know, hopefully Biden being an old school Senate uh, establishment guy, uh, you know, remembers the way that he used to work and he and Mitch can share bourbon every now and then and cut some deals and get some stuff done. You know, that's, I think that's, Probably, I don't know if you guys saw a poll came out yesterday. Fifty-seven percent of America wants Republicans to, to maintain control of the Senate. Yeah, that's. Well, I think we already saw one example yesterday too, right? Didn't hasn't Biden come out and told Pelosi and Schumer to step down? Well, and, then they, they walked they walked it back in the, they walked it back in the afternoon. Did they? Yeah. Okay. I think Biden said it, and then the the the, the, the quote unquote hey. team quote unquote team walked it back. Well, and I think the real question is going to be whether uh, the the personal disdain for for President Trump among some of the folks that uh, uh, President-elect Biden is uh, is putting out there is that going to get in the way of having you know compromise going forward? And and I just don't I don't think I think it's too early for us to say at this point. Yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't get to in the news uh, that I, I meant to get to, we can kind of circle back to it now since we're on the topic is 
you know, Trump still is not conceded. And <laughs> I, I I am highly doubtful that the words I lost will ever come out of his mouth or or the words Joe Biden won, unless it's followed by by cheating. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's ever happened. But it, in this country, it doesn't matter. You know, you don't. I've said before, this is this isn't match play golf. You don't become president because the other guy conceded. Yeah, you, know, you you become president because the process plays plays itself through, and that's what we we've we've seen now. You know, the process yesterday continued forward. Michigan certified the vote, which I think was enough to convince the White House that okay, we're not going to win this thing, and they greenlit the GSA uh, beginning to work with with Biden on transition and, and ordered the cabinets and whatnot to to do so. Biden started to name some cabinet level officials. So you know, I I know we were, we were all promised civil war and, and, and a coup. And I was looking forward to maybe going down to, to like Best Buy or something and looting out a TV or my fridge broke last night in the basement. You know, I, I could use a new fridge if I could get a hand truck and like push it back up to circle to the house. Um, you know, but I, it's, as we always do in America, we're, we're instead going to have a peaceful transfer of power. So, you know, all Gary, Tom, all your, all your right gear you bought to go out and start cracking some heads. You have to put it back in the closet gonna be well, you can't have too much ammo trey and uh <laughs> you know lawyers guns and money but uh you know it looks actually well yeah i'll just and it's you know some some of some of biden's picks so far they're yelling as treasury secretary i mean we could have we could have done a lot worse it could be bernie or liz <laughs> I mean, you know gary how do you feel about his uh selection of john Kerry as our uh environmental czar you know, I think he is the sort of the prime example. First of all, you know, a couple of these these choices, it's a it, it's potentially going to be a very diverse cabinet. You've got Avril Haines, uh, first woman to ever be nominated as a national intelligence director. Uh, Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, first Hispanic to be nominated as head of Homeland Security. Um, I, I think it goes back to my earlier point um, with respect to former Secretary of State John Kerry. He really dislikes President Trump and uh, whether he allows that disdain for President Trump to uh, sort of overtake the, the notion of, of uh, working on whatever issues he's assigned to work on. I guess he's going to be the climate czar, but also on the National Security Council, whether he allows that stuff to overtake uh, the good of the co- the country and, and and whether he allows it to enact uh, result in the enactment of bad policies just for the sake of spiting President Trump, I think that's what remains to be seen. You know, I I, I also think it's interesting. You, I mean, we're not getting Susan Rice or any of the people who were you know cabinet level people in the Obama White House, but pretty much every one of these people has has a an Obama connection on the resume. So you know, you're seeing. Uh, a lot of that come back, uh, you know, and one thing I will say is <laughs> this, it's funny how politics works out, but you know, four years later, when you look at what else there is in the Democrat party where, where they, where they could pivot. I mean, you know, in six or eight years, are we going to look, look back at Obama and, and call him a moderate compared to some of these people? So it might not be the worst thing that, you know, some of these people, they at least know where the light bulbs are and like where the, where, you know, where the, where the spare toilet paper is and they, they, they know how to, how to operate the building. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to get back to a little bit more of an establishment style government. I know, you know, I know people want to drain the swamp, uh, but, you know, there's a reason the swamp exists is they know they they know they know how to get in and out out of it. Well, and make no mistake, this is a transition. This is going to be a transitional presidency, right? Yes. And and in in doing that, it, it can transition one way or it can transition the other way uh, back towards the Republican Party here in, in, in the next two years, four years. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out uh, once we get into January and February of next year. And on that yeah. topic, one thing I'm thankful for is AOC and the squad because the and 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 really and, and blue dogs, because I think you're going to see the next couple years in Congress, you're going to see a, you know, you can only kick a dog for so long before it bites the hell out of your hand. And there are blue dogs still in 
in Congress. I think you look at some of the stories that came out right after, from, from the meeting that they had as a caucus right after the election. Uh, you have, I think, Spanberg is her name, uh, over rep- represents the area I grew up in, in, in Richmond, Virginia, the old uh, Eric Cantor and Tom Blally seat. Um, you got a couple in Florida, a couple in Texas, a couple from the more moderate seats in California who are pr- pretty pissed at some of the language that National Democrats were using. They're only going to have like a five-seat majority, guys, in, in, in Congress. And it, you know, if AOC and Omar and them are out there pushing some of this stuff, guess what? These—it's pretty clear that these people are not going to vote with them. You know, they're—they're—they they're, already got screwed once by these people and almost lost their elections. They ain't going to vote with them. Yeah. So you know, they're—they're going to have AOC and that bunch is going to have problems getting their stuff through Congress. And even—even even with that, I am pretty—I'm uh, pretty excited at the prospects of flipping congress back to the republicans in in 2022 completely agree i got something i'm thankful for go ahead dom i'm thankful that on the way out donald trump is gonna declassify all the stuff about the aliens area 51 the kennedy assassination uh ted ted cruz better run to canada man everything it's all coming out the truth is coming out on ted cruz's dad it's gonna be bad. I wonder. I wonder if he will also de- declassify the fact that Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. Like that'd be like <laughs> double whammy on, on Ted. Well, John <laughs> Bonet, like you name it, it's all coming out. Donald Trump was DB Cooper. It's, it's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm personally I, I'm thankful for a lack having a lack of vanity. I don't know if any of you guys saw the the, the press conference earlier this week, but. Um, you know, I, I, I've gone through chemotherapy. My hair has gone completely white and, and, and I'm thankful that I'm not Rudy Giuliani this week. And, and I didn't feel the need. Well, to thankful for, thankful for a lot of reasons not to be Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> but I'm thankful I did not. I've never felt the need to dye my hair, particularly with shoe polish. <laughs> did, you, did you see the picture, Tom, of Rudy with the, the sweat and it like causing the hair dye to run down his cheek no i did not it, it was busy watching the dolphins i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> not not the football team folks not the football team uh you know it's something interesting though what if and this is a real possibility what if before trump leaves office you know yesterday either yesterday or today bb netanyahu is having the first meeting ever between an israeli prime minister and the crown prince of saudi arabia what if before he leaves office, Donald Trump somehow pulls off literally peace in the Middle East? Like, it, it, it would be astounding to think. I'm a for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a big I'm a big Nixon fan. Not, you know, some some things he, he did obviously that I didn't like, like the EPA. You know, but maybe other things I won't mention. You know, the EPA I'm not a big fan of, but uh. uh he, uh, my degree is international relations. That's really where my, my true passion lies. And it, I think it's unquestioned that he, he probably has the greatest uh, foreign policy mind of the last 70, 80 years. Nixon just knew, and he had the greatest accomplishment of the last 70, 80 years. They taunt with China. Yeah. Wouldn't it be incredible when you look back at, at kind of the other things surrounding their presidency, if the two most significant diplomatic achievements of the last almost, you know, last 60, 70 years, the two most significant achievements diplomatically were for the United States were, were Nixon with the taunt with China and Trump with peace in the Middle East. <laughs> he got, he got two, two of the, two of the kind of craziest presidents who did the most ethically questionable things also achieved some of the greatest foreign policy stuff that we've gotten done. It, it's, it is a, it's setting up for a potential weird historical implica- implication of this presidency. If, if, they were to pull this off somehow and get a peace accord between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Yeah. Um, pretty amazing. amazing uh, We're even talking about it, honestly. It's, I I mean, at this point, I just, I'm done trying to predict what's going to happen over the next two and a half months. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. (laughs) Uh, Gary, you got anything else that that you're, that you're thankful for this year? Well, uh, I guess perspective we, we need to be thankful for having perspective when we've got it. I mean, there's a, there, there's a woman I just read this morning, uh, this woman from a Minnesota law firm who's flying to New Orleans this weekend to attend her daughter's bridal shower. 
And she said, I don't want to unknowingly make anyone sick, but I also don't want to miss this special event for my only daughter. And the last time I checked, 50% of all marriages in the U.S. result in divorce. So I, I, I have perspective to know that a bridal shower really isn't a special event. <laughs> well done. That's the kind of hot take you get with me as a guest. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. This, the the double standard some people have. Like, I was reading. Uh, a friend of mine is a is a mayor in a of, of a small town just outside of Portland, Oregon, and he uh, is is getting suppressed over there right now because there's a, a commission. I think it's a county commissioner, maybe from the Portland area, who has been one of the most. She's she's a uh, ER. A physician. She's been one of the most uh, aggressive people statewide on uh, pushing for uh, things to shut down and, and, you know, very, there's extremely restrictive uh, COVID policies up there. And uh, she uh, just got back from like a three week trip to Hawaii. And I love her, her excuse was, well, I, when I left, it was before all these restrictions and travel restrictions took place. Then somebody said, well, your husband flew down and joined you, joined you a week later, which is after the restrictions uh, kicked in. She said, well, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> just, just insane. Uh, um, by the way, Arrogance. I'm, I'm seeing a, a, a story just came across. I think the word is hubris. Hubris, Hubris, yes. is that the word? Story just came across the wire, yes. too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking uh, while, while we're talking. Apparently, they're doing an update right now on the Brent Spence Bridge. Um it looks like they're still saying that they're they're on pace to try to try to get back open December 23rd. I'm still a little curious about that one. You know, I had somebody text me today, Tom, who was a former Fletcher staffer and uh, back in 2001, 2002, when he was in Congress and uh, the Northern Kentucky people went to him and tried to get money appropriated for the bridge. Do you know how much the bridge would have cost had they built it in 2001, 2002? Oh, gosh. Uh, 250 million. They that's about what they were asking. Yes, they uh 290 million was the, the price that was, and we're talking what four or five billion now. <laughs> I mean, just insane. Uh, I guess that's yeah, one it's thing, almost I, like it's uh, it's almost like college tuition, man. Uh, that's one thing I'm thankful exact for. I, I, I don't, I don't live in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati metroplex because apparently, I don't know if you, either of you have had to drive up there for anything recently. Apparently, the literally the entire the entire uh, area is just basically shut down because you know the, the, there's a cascading effect on that traffic. You know the bridge the bridge backs up and makes everything back up. Uh, Tom, well, you get you wonder when you think of like a. It's one thing for us to have that kind of a debate internally and talk about how we feel about infrastructure projects and stuff, but how do you, you know, if you're a an Amazon looking in on the community right there, I mean, do they, you know, they've made a substantial investment in the uh, Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport. And then you kind of scratch your head. I mean, what sort of an impact does that have on on operations at a at a one of the world's biggest cargo hubs? No, it's not. It's, it's mean, not. It's not disturbing air traffic, Tom. They're not taking. They're not taking the plane across the bridge. Staff, maybe <laughs> people got to come to work. You know, I just, I just. However, however that factors in there, that would be the type of thing. It's kind of like Kentucky's bond rating. It's the type of thing that's got to give a you know, a big a fortune 500 fortune 100 sort of company. I mean, it's got to give them pause when they think about, okay, why would we pick here versus someplace else? If you're not going to do the, if you're not going to make those sort of basic investments and it's got to make it hard. They, they can, they can, they can just sleep there. We'll just, we'll build a tent village there at the, at the airport and contact Jerry Lundergan for, <laughs> you know, well, you know, uh, availability of tent city. I, I don't, I don't know how they, how they do it anymore, but I know back in the day, uh, Camp, down at the Campbellsville Amazon facility, which used to be, you know, that one's, that's one of the oldest Amazon facilities outside of uh, Washington in the country. And that used to be the primary shipping point for, for almost all, especially like, uh, I think paperback books. It's a major book shipping facility. But back in the day, like when they would, when they would gear up for, uh, for uh, 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 special holidays and stuff where they were going to have extra shipping and they had to hire on seasonal staff, they literally had just like a trailer. Amazon would construct a trailer park, like, basically out back of the facility and, and have, they'd bring in staff from all around the region and let's have them live in trailers to go, <laughs> go work at Amazon for this, for the seasonal jobs. 
<laughs> you know, we were in, I don't know if this ever came about, but I know there were negotiations with Amazon actually about some of our state parks, about the exact same thing, Trey, at the end of the, the Bevin administration, because they needed to be able to surge in capacity for the holidays. And so they would like rent out the entire facility is uh, one of the ones that comes to mind right now is actually the Kentucky horse park. They had I, negotiations on turning over the campground for that. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll say this, it's, it's, it's creative stuff like that creative thinking like that, that that we need to get through this COVID stuff and you just you i don't think and and this this isn't even like a, a slap against COVID policies i just think in general i don't think that even his friends would use the word creative to describe andy Bashir. yeah you know, I, <laughs> I i don't think it's gonna happen <laughs> um tom or gary do you have anything else that that, uh, that you're thankful for this year I think I'm thankful that Gary's here. We're, yes. we're glad that Gary's Gary's able to be with us today. Yeah, and I, I thank you guys for allowing me to join you. I, I'm thankful that we Tom and I get to do this podcast and people actually listen to us talk about nothing for an hour. It's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> I have been around my own house where where people are listening to our podcast. I'm like, what the hell is it? Oh my god. <laughs> Turn the volume down. I can't listen to that. I don't think I've ever actually listened to one of these after I posted. It's just it I did once. Floats once. that in floats that into the like, ether. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> um all right. Well that I think it's gonna wrap it up. Uh, I guess one last question. Uh Tom, I'm assuming you're just gonna like pull a dolphin out of the out of the, the water and roast it for Thanksgiving. Gary, what are what are what are you what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I, I catered everything, man. I'm not supposed to be lifting anything more than five pounds. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, the two kids, I, I don't really trust them in the kitchen yet. So <laughs> had everything catered, um, uh, getting amazing curbside service from, uh, am I allowed to say the, the, the sure. we don't have a, we don't have a sponsor proud, proud Mary barbecue. Uh, Oh, awesome. They're, they're, not, not Winchell's. Yeah. Well, I, I actually do want to give a shout out to Winchell's because they're doing curbside this time around with the shutdown. Uh, but they, uh, but proud of Mary barbecue, they got prime rib, they got, you know, deep fried Turkey. They got all the fixings. So we should have a, a pretty nice Thanksgiving at home. How about you? Uh, I, I made, I actually made Turkey stock last night. Uh, so that'll sit overnight so I can, I can skim the, uh, skim the, the fat off top of it. And I'll use that for, for gravy and, and stuffing. I got, uh, Got a big old turkey ready to go. Going to do some uh, broccoli casserole, some green beans with pancetta and lemon zest, a uh, little cornbread stuffing. And uh, my favorite thing that, that, that's, that's recently they began selling at, uh, at Kroger here is uh, grow, growing up in Richard, Virginia, it was a really weird anomaly. There was actually like national stories about it. Uh, there was one local grocery store chain in Richmond. Uh, we were the biggest city in America that had that the leading grocery store in the, in the city uh, was, was a local chain, uh, like the only place in the country that was, it's called Ucrops and food line would try to come in. They crushed them. When Dixie tried to come in, they crushed them. And finally it, it was Walmart that, that, that was able to kind of topple them and, and Ucrops fell down pretty fast, but they have kind of relaunched Ucrops brand and are doing uh, a lot because they had a great deli and bakery and kind of prepared food section. And they've, they've got a facility there in Richmond now, Richmond, Virginia, that are producing the same recipes that Ucrops used to make uh, and selling them nationwide. And so they recently at, at Kroger here in Lexington are selling Ucrops uh, White House rolls, uh, which uh, they're yeasty, fluffy, delicious, uh, and, and, you know, a little, little taste of, uh, of childhood for me that I can, I can pick up at the local Kroger. So looking forward to having those as part of my Thanksgiving for the first time in about, in about, uh, 20 years. So that, and, uh, and thank God they don't have to cross the Brent Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, those, those coming, coming over 64 across the mountains. Um, <laughs> so, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners out there. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for being on with us. Um, and uh, you know, before we kind of got derailed with the with 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 the COVID and the uh, pandemic, you know, we we had planned to have Gary on somewhat frequently uh, after uh, things like WrestleMania to uh, to to give uh, give a quick wrestling update to make sure that this podcast stays uh, bizarre and strange and it's a variety of topics that we deal with. So, uh, Gary, I hope hope uh, especially uh, January maybe we'll have to have you on for a Royal Rumble wrap up because that's oh, that uh, sounds great. That's, that's everybody's everybody's favorite. I think. You, I think you and I have watched the Rumble together 
at least once. Uh, So looking forward to that. Uh, We got a couple of good podcasts lined up for the next several weeks that I want to announce. Uh, I'm sure everybody will be excited about uh, next Tuesday. We're going to have John Cox from the Kentucky Chamber on as the next of our legislative previews. So we've had the hospital association, we had magistrates and the commissioners, and we'll have the chamber on next week talking about uh, their priorities, kind of where, what, what, how they feel about everything's going, where they're at, and, and what they're looking for at a 21 session. Uh, next Thursday, the uh, I think it's the third, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a special guest on. It's kind of a blast to pass. We'll, do, we'll tell some stories, have some fun. Uh, Ryan Alessi, former Hill leader reporter, uh, kind of helped start the CN2 uh, Spectrum News operation, is going to be joining us from his uh, current post uh, at uh, – James Madison University, where he's a professor, but uh, he's going to call in. We're going to talk some, talk some uh, uh, kind of war stories from uh, from campaigns gone by, political sessions gone by, and have have a good time talking with Ryan, uh, an old friend of mine. And then the week after that, the week of the seventh, uh, we're going to have. Uh, I'm not sure which days, Tuesday or Thursday, who will be on which day, but we're going to have uh, Majority Leader Damon Thayer and Minority Leader uh, Morgan McGarvey on for uh, legislative previews. So a couple of good weeks worth of podcasts. Uh, this will be the last one for this week. Uh, so uh, we hope you enjoy the holiday and uh, just remember you can get us wherever you stream podcasts. If you get us on Apple podcasts, please be sure to give us a review and we'll be back with you next week on another Kentucky politics weekly.